0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Francis Ngannou is
1: back. Israel Adesanya and Anderson Silva verbally agree to fight at UFC 234. Ooh, business is taking up. Colby Covington may be fighting Tyron Woodley at UFC 233. And, sadly, Pete Ortiz gets his revenge on a nearly 49-year-old Chuck Liddell in one of the saddest mixed martial arts moments. Of all time. This is the TSN MMA show. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Kamaru Usman joining the show, as well as Joseph Benavides, both of them fighting at the Ultimate Fighter Heavy Hitters finale. And, of course, we've also got Ben Wynn, who fights the next night at UFC Fight Night Dos Anjos versus Tuivasa in Adelaide, Australia. Very, very fun show. Looking forward to speaking all of, to uh, all of those individuals because um, that Los Anjos versus Usman fight is an excellent, excellent fight. woo gonna be a fun one i guess we'll get the sad stuff out of the way first chuck liddell versus tito ortiz three my god did i not have a good feeling after watching that one you know you cover the sport you kind of have to watch these things even though it, you don't feel great about it you knew what was going to happen in this fight like i i don't even think chuck liddell had a puncher's chance if you look the way he was punching i spoke to somebody about this in our office earlier who uh, who follows the sport, Darren York. He works uh, on our digital side. And we were talking about uh, how sad that fight was. And I said to him, Liddell had the right strategy. Circle, hope that Tito misses, and then hit him with a counter. The problem is, his punching did not look like even if he had hit him with the perfect counter that it would have done absolutely anything to Tito Ortiz. And looking at the way Tito Ortiz has wrapped up his career, he's 4-1 and out of his last five. Wins over Alexander Slomenko, who nearly beat Gegard Mousasi last year. Or was it this year? In Mousasi's debut in the uh, UFC, that was a good fight, and and Slomenko almost beat him. I know it was at two hundred five. Ortiz was quite a bit bigger, but still, that's a that's a win that he got in shorter time than it took him to beat Chuck Liddell. Has a win over Chael Sonnen again, a win that took him less time than defeating Chuck Liddell, and uh, he fought for the title. He lost in a in a fight to Liam McGeary. So Tito's swan song has been really excellent. If you look at Chuck versus Tito and that the whole storyline behind that, it really does feel like Tito Ortiz had the last laugh. And I mean, I you know it's hard to say that after he beats a nearly forty-nine-year-old Chuck Liddell, and I say nearly forty-nine years old because in less than a month he's going to be forty-nine years old. So I'm not uh, embellishing, but just the way that their careers ended, Liddell basically getting flatlined in four in his last four fights. And then you look at the way that Tito's career ended, winning four of his last five fights, going out on a win you know, against Sonnen initially, coming out of retirement, even though he said he still felt like he was retired to fight Chuck, beating Chuck in the way that he did. I think that fight could have ended a lot faster if Chuck wasn't circling and wasn't trying to get out of the way. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was not easy to watch. I'll say that. not easy to watch. Because Liddell looked really old. He looked every bit of nearly forty-nine years old. His body looked good. I mean, he looked like the the same Ice Man. He had the signature haircut, the signature shorts. Tito had his signature shorts with the the flames. It was the Ice versus the Flames, just like in the back, you know, back in the old days. In terms of Golden Boy MMA, there were some good fights on that card. The production was okay. I thought that the production looked okay. But it really does give me the feeling that they're not going to do another card. I don't. I just don't see it. I don't see what they could headline it with that would give it any sort of intrigue based on the fighters that are available as free agents. I'm not just going to keep pulling guys out of retirement, but even so, I mean, Chuck versus Tito is one of the all-time feuds in MMA. You can't diminish how important that was in the evolution of the sport. That was the feud. And sure, Chuck beat Ortiz... Both times, at least when they were in their primes. Now Tito has a win. But at the end of the day, those were big, big fights. I think the the second fight did over a million buys. That was a huge fight. I also mentioned on Twitter that uh, the last time they had fought before this, that Demetrius Johnson, I'm trying to remember every name, John Jones, Daniel Cormier, Yoel Romero, Brock Lesnar, all of them had and o professional records. Which is crazy to think of how long ago that was. And that and that the fact that they're fighting again now. Absolutely insane. But uh yeah, I uh that that didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. But you know, this is MMA. Weird stuff has happened for years and years and years. And this was just uh, another one, in the uh the pantheon of weird things to happen in this sport. UFC was in Beijing. A solid card. I mean, it was great seeing a lot of the up and coming Chinese talent the first time around when the UFC did the Ultimate Fighter China and were signing Chinese fighters none of them were good none of them were able to do much in the UFC we looked at Zhang Lipong Wang Sai the two guys that uh, I think were uh, the initial winners or the winner and runner up of the, uh, the first season they didn't do much you had the uh, Mongolian Wolf back in the day Tia Zhang None of these guys were were able to really do that well, but now you're seeing fighters that are four one, four to one favorites, five to one favorites. Even uh, Wu Yinan, who was like a three or four to one underdog, got a first round uh, submission. Yudong Song looks like he's going to be a, a a solid bantamweight. And I mentioned this uh, last week on the show. The problem with a lot of these fighters is they're going to keep having them fight in China. So what's it going to take for them to be able to get onto the radar, into the top ten, into the top fifteen? I'd be surprised if any of them are ranked. When we look at the rankings uh, this week, and they come back. I mean, Li Lang obviously will be. He was, I believe, ranked going into this fight. But other the fighters that were unranked, if you look at their opponents and who they beat, I mean, maybe Wu Yanan will get ranked, I mean, because the flyweight division is so shallow. But, I mean, yeah, maybe we rank Wei Li Zhang. She's got one loss in her professional record. Yan Shannon looked very good against uh, Kondo. It was a very lopsided fight. But let's look at the main event and co-main event. Because in the co-main event, you saw Alistair Overeem introduce Sergei Pavlovich to the UFC with a, uh, some grounded pound, finishing with 421 of the first round. But more surprisingly, in the main event, Curtis Blades getting knocked out by Naganu. 45 seconds into the first round. Another first round TKO finish to Francis Naganu, who is back. The Predator returns. Had some hiccups early this year. Thiepe lost the unanimous decision. Derek Lewis lost the unanimous decision in in really a fight that can't be described as anything other than awful. Goes in and looks like the old Francis Ngannou against Curtis Blades, a guy that a lot of people thought was on the trajectory to to have a title shot if he would have won this fight. A guy who had previously lost in his debut to Francis Ngannou. Looked phenomenal since then. Won seven in a row? Six in a row? Six in a row, one of which was overturned. Got better and better, evolved so much, but then comes the fight time and he he, he circles right towards Naganu's power hand just like he did in the first fight. Except this time, even though Curtis had said in an interview that I did with him that he didn't think that Naganu had improved much, clearly his striking has improved a lot. Because in that first fight, Francis, his striking didn't look as good as it does now. And I, I hope that he wasn't being underestimated going into this fight by uh, by Curtis and his team. I, I don't think that he, that they would do that. But uh, that was a bad loss for Curtis Blades. I mean, Curtis Blades still very young, and I think he'll eventually be in title contention once again. At heavyweight, all you need to do is win one one fight off of a loss, and you're, you're back in the mix. But that was a tough loss for him. Forty five seconds. Wow. I'm hoping to speak to Curtis later this week and uh, just hear uh, you know how he's feeling after that loss. That's uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Francis Ngannou back in the mix. He's probably going to be ranked third. In the next rankings. Wow. And I'd love to see a rematch with him and Stepe. That's the one he wants. But uh, I don't know. Stipe beat him so decidedly in that first fight. I don't, there's not, not really a big part of me that thinks that Stepe can't do that again. And I was surprised that Curtis was standing with him as much as he was. Because Curtis, I think he just didn't have enough time to set up his wrestling because he got hit so early in the fight. It's the kind of uh, strike that will change a fight and did change a fight. So that's uh, that was that card, and I, I enjoyed watching it. You know what? The pacing of these cards on Fight Pass, even though it's not a realistic sort of pace that these cards can put on. You know, people always say, "Oh, I wish every card was like this." You can take a page out of uh, my friend Adam Martin. I don't, I don't want to mean to to poo poo on him what he said. He said, "I wish every card could be like this." We all do, as fans. You know, I wish there was no halftime in a basketball game either, and I wish there were no commercial breaks in football games. There's so many commercial breaks in these football games. I wish they would just go play by play by play. These guys are selling content. They're selling content to worldwide cable providers and and, and networks and outlets and digital platforms. And unfortunately, that's the the nature of the beast is that there's there's housekeeping to pay. If you're going to pay big money for these rights, you got to show ads. That's how you make your money back. And there's the the format of television is you do it and you program for thirty minute blocks and they program one fight per per, per thirty minute block. Now on Fight Pass you have the luxury of just going one after another after another, and uh, and whipping through the cards and and not having any downtime. But when it comes to but if you watched again if you watched that main card, it didn't happen like that. They had to end the the card at a certain time because some of these fight some of these television providers air what. Happens on Fight Pass. Like what we see on Fight Pass, like, for example, in Canada, the Fight Network aired that main card on, live on, on the Fight Network. They have the rights to that. So they have to format it for television for that last two hours, those those four fights. So every 30 minutes, they've got to have a fight. You can't just go one after another after another and have an hour of dead time. It's just not how it works. And uh, after speaking with Dave Shaw, when he was in studio uh, earlier this year, or maybe it was over the phone. I think it was over the phone the first interview. He was saying that that's just the way it's going to be. That even with ESPN Plus, they still need to program for television outlets. And that's that's the format. It's one fight every 30 minutes. Sorry. It's just the nature of the beast. People are saying, ah, Golden Boy. It was going so fast. People should copy that format. No, they shouldn't, because Golden Boy is not on TV. Golden Boy MMA doesn't have a TV deal. They barely have any advertising. There was a, an insurance company was their main advertiser. That's not a sustainable model. So we've got uh, some some events coming up this week. We've got the UFC Ultimate Fighter Heavy Hitters Finale. It's going to be Penny Kienzad versus TBD, whoever wins between Leah Letson and uh, Macy Chason on this week's show. We've got Wan- Juan Espino versus uh, Justin Frazier in a fight that I uh, talked about last week. As it's just not being very exciting. I think honestly, this was the weakest season to date in terms of the uh, the the talent pool. Unfortunately, I mean, there's not a whole lot of talent at, at women's featherweight as is. That's why it's taken so long for them to establish a division. There just aren't that many great fighters. But this is a really good card. Holly Holm's Angeles versus Kamara Usman's a fantastic main event. Fantastic for television. Doesn't get much better. Pedro Munoz versus Brian Carroll is a okay. comment. It's okay. This is really one of these cards where the main event is, that's what you're showing up for. I was surprised to see that Joseph Benavidez versus Alex Perez is on the undercard. That's going to be an amazing fight. Alex Perez looked tremendous in L.A. earlier this year, UFC 227. Tremendous. Beat Shorty Torres in the first round. That's a statement win. Now he's fighting against the guy who's just got a way, way bigger Uh, higher level of competition faced than he does. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. I'm looking forward to it. And then there's the debut of Antonina Shevchenko, debut of Roosevelt Roberts. Some good fights on this card. Kevin Aguilar making his debut, the uh, former LFA champion. Edmund Shabazian making his debut, another uh, fighter that uh, came from the Contender, season, uh, contender Series, Dana White Contender Series. Be accompanied to the uh, cage by the uh, legendary Edmund Tarverdian. Best known as uh, the coach of Ronda Rousey, from Glendale Fight Club. Good to see Edmund back in the uh, UFC once again. Hopefully they isolate the corner audio like they have in the past. It's always fun. But Los Anjos versus Usman is going to be a great fight. I don't know who's going to win that fight. whoo I mean, Usman has looked untouchable since coming to the UFC. I remember he won the Ultimate Fighter against uh, Haider Hassan. And uh, that same week, Faraz Zahabi was at TSN with uh, with Rory McDonald. And I said to him, you got to check out this guy Usman. He reminds me a lot of GSP. He's got really good MMA wrestling, solid striking. He was like, okay, I'll check him out and look where he is now. One of the few that I got right in terms of prospects. But really, when you look at Usman's Resume, who's he beating? Leon Edwards is a very good win. I'll give him that, but that's 2015 edition of Leon Edwards three years ago before Leon Edwards really started to pick up some steam. His big win was over Damian Maya, but this is a Damian Maya who we saw a blueprint for his type of fighter to beat. We saw what Colby Covington did to him. We saw what uh, Tyron Woodley did to him. Tyron Woodley had like a torn labrum for most of the fight and still was able to uh, do what he did to Maya and completely neutralize his attack. So there was a a framework for how to beat Damian Maia. Dos Anjos, I mean, you look at how uh, Colby Covington beat Dos Anjos, and you could probably use that framework. But Dos Anjos coming off three wins before that to Safadine, Magny, and Lawler. Those are three big wins, and he really pieced up Robbie Lawler. Now, this is a type, different type of fight because Usman can utilize his wrestling and really, really stifle Dos Anjos. And I think that's probably what ends up happening. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Because I think that uh, this is going to be a big statement win for Usman if he can get it. And it's going to be a big statement win for Los Anjos if he can get it, beating an undefeated, uh, at least undefeated in the UFC, guy like uh, Kamaru Usman. Usman only has one loss on his professional record. Never been knocked out. So I'm looking forward to that card. That's, I really do like that Joe Benavidez. I'm not just saying that because he's on the show. But I really like that Joe Benavidez card. Uh, fight, rather, against Alex Perez. Alex Perez really impressed me in that last fight. I think he's going to have a lot of issues, you know, some problems with with Joe B. Because Joe B, I think, is just... He's just fought such a high level of competition. And I, I didn't think that he lost that fight against Sergio Perez. I think a lot of people would agree with that. And it's probably a 50-50 if you, if you polled people. I think some people would have had it for Joe. Some people would have had it for Perez, depending on what you, uh... What you value. But, uh... Just looking at the numbers and the stats, based on that, Benavidez probably won. But you know, if you if you watch the fight, who knows? Could have gone either way. That's a good card. I like that card a lot. And then you got uh, one night later. It's Sunday in Australia, Saturday in North America. It's going to be Tai Tuivasa versus Junior Dos Santos. That's a great fight. Los Santos is a small favorite over Tuivasa. Tuivasa hits like a truck. Undefeated fighter, 8-0. This, this has a lot of heavy hitters on it. Look at the last three fights on the card. Mark Hunt versus Justin Willis. Tyson Pedro versus uh, Shogun Hua. Ooh, It's going to be a fun card. You've got Jim Crute making his debut. He was another contender series guy from Australia fighting Paul Craig, who had, I think, the uh, the, the best comeback finish of the year. No disrespect to Yair Rodriguez, like I said, I don't, I don't really consider that as uh, as big a comeback because the, I mean, Craig was getting beaten, you know, pillar to post from start to finish, and then 4:59 of the third round sinks in a, a gets him to tap to a triangle. That was crazy. Ankaliyev beating him up for three straight rounds and somehow taps at 4:59 of the third round. That 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 triangle wasn't even in long; it was just tight. But uh, that's a really uh, solid two nights in a row for the UFC. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching both of those uh, those cards. John Jones was on uh, the Ariel Hawani show today. He had uh, a lot of interesting things to say. But I thought the most interesting was that uh, he said the UFC would have to pay him a lot of money to move up to heavyweight to fight uh, Daniel Cormier. Now, what do you take from that? What I take from it is that John Jones knows that he has an advantage over Cormier at light heavyweight that he wouldn't ordinarily have over him at at heavyweight. And that's not taking anything away from John Jones. John Jones is a natural light heavyweight. Whereas I think Cormier is a natural heavyweight. Cormier is not a natural light heavyweight. He cuts a ton of weight to get to light heavyweight. And the only reason he ever did it to begin with was because Cain Velasquez was in the heavyweight division and he didn't want to have to face Cain if he got to the top of the food chain. So he made a, a tactical decision once he got to the UFC to move down to light heavyweight. And it paid off a champion there two-time champion technically and i think john jones knows he has a market advantage over him at uh, light heavyweight not that jones doesn't want to challenge but if you want him to move up and put himself at at a place of disadvantage potentially pay him pay the man i don't i don't disagree with him i do not disagree with that at all otherwise he'll uh he'll defend his title That he hasn't won yet against uh, Alexander Gustafson. He probably shouldn't uh, count his eggs before they hatch if he he indeed is doing that. I know he's probably going to get asked more about Cormier than he is about Gustafson leading up to that fight. But uh, that's that's what you got to look at. Anderson Silva facing Israel Adesanya at UFC 234. Now, I'll tell you what this fight is it's awesome. Lots of people disagree with this. A lot of people think that this is a cupcake fight for Israel Adesanya to get a title shot. The best, poss- easiest possible path for him to get a title shot. And it very well might be. If you look at the other guys that he would have had to fight in order to get a title shot, whether it's Chris Weidman, whether it's Jacare, those are tougher fights than Anderson Silva. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Paulo Costa. All of those, much tougher fights than Anderson Silva. But if you ask me to rank the fights that I want to see from an entertainment standpoint... Anderson Silva is at the top of that list, because you're watch, you're going to watch a guy who fought in a similar style to Adesanya back in the day that dominated the middleweight division, a legend. Taking on Israel Adesanya, a guy who's an up and comer, in a very similar stylistic fight, you're not going to see any takedowns in this fight. And how often? I mean, people say, "Oh, Anderson Silva, he's he's going to be a sacrificial lamb." How many times has Anderson Silva been locked out in his career in the UFC? Once! Well, I guess technically twice if you count his leg snapping in half. But he's only been knocked out once. That's when he lost his title to Chris Weidman more than five years ago. I mean, since then, yeah, he he lost to Bisping by decision. Obviously, he lost to Cormier by decision in a fight that's still very surreal. It's still hard to imagine that that fight happened. But, I mean, if Cormier couldn't finish him... And Cormier wasn't willing to stand with him. That, that, to me, indicates that he's still a dangerous guy on the feet. Now, he didn't knock out Derek Brunson. We saw how easily Israel Adesanya was able to beat Derek Brunson. And Anderson Silva hasn't fought this year. It'll be probably two years since uh, his last fight that he's going to fight Adesanya. But that's going to be a fun fight to watch. I will be watching that fight eagerly with popcorn in hand. Because stylistically, it's going to be a lot of fun. Israel will be a big favorite, probably a four to one favorite, maybe even a five to one favorite. But don't get it twisted. Anderson and Silva is still one of the, the most unpredictable and fun stand-up fighters, and I, I don't think Adesanya is going to finish Anderson and Silva. I really don't. I think it's going to be a good tactical stand-up fight, especially if it's three rounds. I am looking forward to that one. Whoo! That'll be February 9th. Mark your calendars. Whitaker versus Gastelum. the main event and that'll probably be the co-main originally they had said that they weren't going to put Adesanya on the uh, 234 card as a backup fighter now it looks like they have so that's going to be one to look forward to I'm I'm excited for that one a lot of people don't agree a lot of people think it's a bad fight but uh, I think it's going to be way better than people expect way better well, let's get to our first guest of this week. He is uh, undefeated in the UFC and uh, has been really putting on a show in all of his fights, beating uh, everybody decidedly, barely losing any rounds along the way. Can almost compare him to Khabib and, uh, as a welterweight. Not quite as dominant, but still, everybody he's facing, he's uh, he's doing big things against. Doesn't have that many finishes to his name. Only two finishes in his eight fights. But he's uh, he's really a dominant fighter, and that's going to be uh, fun to watch against a guy like RDA, former champion. A guy who's who's used to stopping people in a five-round fight. Actually, I actually think it's more of an advantage for Usman that it's five rounds. I think it'll force Dos Anjos to uh, take his foot off the pedal a little bit, but he didn't really do that in his five-round fight against Robbie Lawler. He was going full out for five rounds. The guy's got great cardio. But he was very, very frustrated when uh, Colby Covington was uh, utilizing wrestling. So uh, without further ado, we are joined by the headliner of the Ultimate Fighter finale, Kamaru Usman, joins us on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: it's time to introduce this week's guest.
1: I'm now joined by a man who I called the the most avoided man in the UFC earlier this year. Now he's finally got a shot at somebody in the top five. It's Rafael dos Anjos uh, this coming weekend at the Ultimate Fighter 28 finale. So, Kamaru, this is obviously a big matchup for you. Uh, RDA ranked third behind Till, who just lost the title shot. Do you think that this has to be a number one contenders fight for you?
0: You would think so, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, You know, many have been told they would fight for the title next, and... It didn't happen so I'm only worried about the guy that stands in front of me so until I'm in that cage with the current champion at the time I don't believe anything that's been told to me
1: with RDA he fought Colby Covington earlier in this year it looked like there's kind of a, a good framework for how to beat this guy similar to how Colby Covington did it do you, do you agree with that or do you think that you've got to do something a little bit different
0: I mean, there's there's always, I've always felt like there's a a framework to beating each and every person. You know, um, of course, him just losing and and showing that and I be possessing similar and even greater skills than Kobe Covington, yeah, obviously it shows how to beat him, but he's been beaten before, I believe eight times already, so you know nothing's different i just got to go out there and do my job and excel in the areas that i excel at and i believe that that could overrun anybody
1: you and colby have had some uh, some words back and forth in uh, in recent months um ufc 233 tyron versus colby looks like that might be on that card do you kind of hope that colby wins just so that you can get back at him for all the uh, the trash talking back and forth or does that irrelevant to you
0: no i mean i, I don't hope he wins because uh, obviously um uh, you know what, to be honest with you, I, I really don't care. At the end of the day the one thing I'm chasing is that title. And so whoever is holding on to that strap at the time when I get there is who I would deal with first. But obviously I would love to fight Kobe Covington. I, I've, I've never said that I wouldn't fight him. That's a guy that I've aimed to fight. I've been offered to fight several times. So obviously it would be a bigger fight, me fighting him and and, and really getting my hands on him. But you know, it doesn't matter. Whoever has that belt is going to get dealt with. That's that's who I'm I'm coming for.
1: How many fighters have you agreed to fight in the last two years that didn't end up fighting you? Uh,
0: quite a few, quite a few, um, quite a few. Especially in that top ten, uh, top ten range. You know, every time I, I, I take the fight uh, for a long time, the longest time. A lot of the fighters, their excuse was he hasn't fought anybody in the top ten. You know why would I take that chance or risk it so they were they were trying to protect that number next to their name, but it didn't matter. I knew I just kept i needed to keep needed to keep doing what I was doing, pursuing that the dream of being the champion and it won't come one day so that's all I have to do.
1: The toughest thing about you in order to beat a top ten opponent is getting a fight with a top ten opponent. that's how you end Absolutely. up beating a top ten opponent. So if top 10 yeah, opponents aren't willing to fight you, how are you supposed to progress in your career? It looks like finally you've, you've jumped that hurdle. Uh,
0: you would think so. I mean, it's been it's been a few months since my last fight. I would like to be more active. As you saw, I fought. Uh, I, I was scheduled to fight in December. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So I fought in January. and when I turned around and I fought in May. I would have liked to fight in, in the middle of the summer somewhere. But... You know, it didn't. That didn't happen, and now it's. I haven't. I didn't fight since May. So that's what seven months. So I would like to fight more frequently, but if I can't get opponents, and right now being in the position that I'm at, there's not many guys they can't offer.
1: The aforementioned UFC 233. There seems to be a new individual that's joined the UFC in your division. That's Ben Askren. He's been calling names out left and right. But one name I haven't heard is yours. Why do you think that is?
0: I'm, I don't know. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I, I'm scheduled for a bout already, you know, but, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I think I'm a difficult test for anybody and everybody knows that, but also, you know, Ben, Benny's coming in and he has to make waves and he's doing a good job of that. You know, I, I know, I actually know of him from, uh, wrestling back in the day. So, you know, no ill will towards him. And I assume that it's the same on his end. You know, obviously, if our paths do cross, then they will cross at some point. But, you know, right now, I have nothing against him.
1: How do you think he's going to fare in the UFC?
0: I don't know. You know, the UFC is, a, is, is different. For, I mean, obviously, he's fought around the world and, and done very well. I mean, he's a competitor. You know, but obviously, the UFC is a, is a, different, it's a different place. And, you know, we'll see how how he handles what all comes with him, being in the UFC and not just performing, being able to perform, but with the fans, with the media, with the, with, with just the, all the different components, the different elements that play a part of this. If you do
1: earn a win on Friday, you'll have basically laid claim to your rightful spot in the division, likely for a title shot. Are you prepared to sit out until you get a title shot or are you planning on staying active regardless?
0: <laughs> um... You no, know, I can't say anything about that right now, but uh, what I can say is that the goal is to be the champion, and so anything that can propel me towards being that champion is what I'm pursuing.
1: Do you have championship language in your contract right now?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not there's nothing necessarily saying that, hey, you will fight for the title next after you win this. I mean, that they don't make those guarantees, but... Obviously we, we have uh we've worked something out for when I do fight for that title and things like that.
1: And have you fought have you signed a new deal recently?
0: Uh yeah, I recently did just sign a new deal.
1: Uh how many when was that and how many fights is that for?
0: Uh a few fights. <laughs> a few fights and uh A few in the oh, UFC
1: sometimes means like eight. <laughs> Are we in that neighborhood? <laughs> no, 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 definitely not that much. No. Does that kick in on this fight?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely kicks in on the fight. Okay, yeah.
1: cool. All right, well, I watched The Anatomy of a Fighter uh series, great uh web series that Will Harris does. I know you've been uh, featured in that quite a bit. Uh you were talking about the struggles early in your career uh of basically just getting by, having enough money to eat. Um and you mentioned that Rashad Evans helped you a lot. You you lived in his house and you you were kind of coy about asking him for uh for food or for money. Uh but what advice would you give to fighters that are in a similar position as you are um when they're early in their career going through the same struggles?
0: Uh, One of the biggest things that I would say is that make sure this is what you want to do, because if you're a man of integrity and if you're someone who who really puts everything into what you want to do, then then this could be something that you could persevere from. But, um, you know, it's not an easy road. A lot of people, like I said, they see the glitz and the glamour at the top, and they think that that's what it's all about. A lot of people see that Connor made this amount of money from this fight and that fight, and they think that's what it is. That's how you're just going to, that's where you're going to be when you get into the UFC. Not necessarily so. Not true at all. You know, you, you're still, it's still a long, long struggle. And I'm not even, and I'm still not at the top. Not where I want to be. So, you know that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have and yeah it's a tough role it's long it's hard there's a lot of things that i've sacrificed to just be in this position so you know i would have to say is make sure make sure this is what you really want to do
1: and you mentioned being in that position now have you been mentoring any particular young fighters that have caught your eye that you think have bright futures and, and kind of taking them under your wing
0: i mean i i try to i try to give back i try to pour into anyone that i that i see any of my friends or anybody that's getting into the sport especially my my little brother my little brother just recently got into the sport and you know I'm just trying to guide him trying to make sure his journey's shorter than mine trying to make sure he doesn't make the same mistake or go through the things that i had to go through so you know it, it it's I'm I'm open for this. if someone needs me I'm going to be there. That's just the kind of guy that I am.
1: You mentioned your brother. He fought that uh, Dontel Mays at the uh, the beginning of the year. Got his first career loss, unfortunately. Uh, he hasn't fought for the you know the remainder of the year. I don't know if he has anything lined up. But what's what's his future look like? Is he hoping to get on a contender series in the summer? What's the next step for him?
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's had some, a couple of injuries that he had been dealing with previous from years even in his football days. So uh, right now we're, we're just getting those taken care of because he's a, he's a specimen, a freak athlete, and he learns very, very quickly. It's just a matter of getting him super healthy and, and, and ready to just learn as fast as he can. And it's not going to take him long to really make waves in the sport. So, but we just want to make sure that, that he has a solid foundation to be able to spring off of.
1: I don't really want to disrespect anybody here and I'm sorry if it comes off that way. You're fighting in the Ultimate Fighter twenty eight finale, and if you look at the heavyweights on this particular season, it seems to me that your brother could have hung with any of them. Uh does he Absolutely. does he watch the show and, and and feel the same way?
0: Um, I don't know if he watches the show. I, I haven't asked him. He'll be here this week though, so um I will talk to him about it. But yeah, he definitely could have if not won the show, honestly. And that's not me putting a lot I'm not that's not me trying to disrespect the guy because I actually know a couple other guys that are on the season, but I just know the skill set that my brother has. Even in his young career, he's only been not even been doing martial arts for over a year. For a year now. But I he's just such an athlete and such a specimen that he learns so fast and I think he would have did well. And and yeah, there's some good guys over this season. There's some tough guys, you know. Um, I just think that my brother's gonna he's gonna be someone to be reckoned with some next year or so do you predict he'll be
1: in the ufc by the end of 2019
0: uh, absolutely i think so um but it, it depends i mean i can't i don't want to i don't want to speak too soon but because a lot of different things hinder our road or hinder our journey so you know god willing he's healthy and he continues to learn and, and do things the right way if everything goes in plan oh for sure he'll be there
1: if I recall, you're pretty close friends with Francis Negano. He got a big win over the weekend. Did you get a chance to watch that? And are you happy to see that he's back to his his old ways—the the, the early first round finishes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was up at seven a.m. watching that fight, and uh, yeah, I'm extremely happy. I uh, I texted him right away. We texted after the fight, and uh, it actually before the fight, you know. And um, yeah, uh, it was something that he needed to do. Uh, the sport is so unforgiving, and these fans are so. Are so fickle to where you know you, you get a couple of bad losses or a couple of you know just one or two in a row, and then they start to condemn you, and they really make you feel like you're lower than you are. They really make you feel that you don't possess the skills that you possess, and so it, it was it was something that he needed to go through, you know, as a as a as a, not just a, a, a mixed martial artist, but as, as a man. Some meaning to go to. People are going to do that. People are going to doubt you. People are going to put you in the box sometimes. But, you know, he went through that. He went back to his roots, and he persevered through that. So it's only something that's going to make him much, much stronger in the future.
1: Well, Kamaru, we appreciate your time. You're undefeated in the UFC. You hope to remain undefeated this weekend. You fight with dos Anjos. Sanjos. It airs on TSN. It's the finale of The Ultimate Fighter 28, the main event. We're lucky to have this fight on television because it's one hell of a fight, and we appreciate your time.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys as always.
1: That was Kamaru Usman. Wow. Very very determined going into this fight against Rafael Dos Anjos. He's probably a fight away from a title shot. I mean, if you look at the uh the UFC rankings, let's take a peek. Let's see. Let's see where Mr. Usman is in the uh, the UFC pecking order here according to uh the uh the very silly UFC rankings that uh, again I, I have a lot of issues with as I've I've discussed for quite some time. But uh just looking at the uh, the rankings right now at welterweight he is ranked number five. So I'd imagine that a win over RDA will pump him up to three, because RDA's at three. Thompson's at four. Might even get him ahead of Till. Might even get him to number two. And if he's at number two, then that, that probably puts him next in line for a title shot. In fact, it almost certainly does, because Till lost his recent title shot and is thinking of moving up to middleweight. But, of course, you've got Ben Askren entering the mix. So if Ben Askren enters the mix, beats Robbie Lawler, and then ends up being messed up with Kamaru Usman, that would be a fun one. Mostly, be probably mostly be stand-up, but th- that said... Ben Askren can take anybody down. I'm not convinced that Usman could stuff takedowns from uh, Ben Askren. I'm not convinced anybody could stuff takedowns from Ben Askren. So that's going to be a good one. And another good fight on that card, as I've mentioned, was uh, is Joe Benavidez facing off against Alex Perez. Perez, 21-4. and 4. He's, he's been fighting for quite some time. Hasn't lost a fight in uh, two and a half years. And that loss was to Jared Papazian, who fought in the flyweight division in the UFC. But uh, coming off a huge first-round finish over Jose Shorty Torres at UFC 227. And as a result, he's the favorite in this fight. I mean, he improved a lot. Obviously, you can see how good he was. But, I mean, Joe, Joe Benavidez has been around forever. And I thought he performed great against Sergio Pettis. So that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to watch. So let's talk to Joe. I'm a big fan of Joe's. I see Joe often uh, backstage at these events. Um, visiting his wife, Megan Olivi, who uh, worked with Fox and with the UFC. I hang out with Megan quite a bit backstage, and I like I like them both a lot. They're both uh, very, very nice people. And uh, I get to hang out with him and just talk about music and, and fashion and other stuff that he likes, stuff outside of fighting. But uh, for this particular interview, we're going to talk about fighting because uh, he's got a big fight coming up this weekend. It could be his last flyweight fight. We don't know what's happening to that division. We'll touch touch uh, upon that with him right now as Joseph Benavidez joins us on the TSN MMA show. I'm pleased to be joined now by the Dapper Scrapper himself, Joe B. Joseph Benavidez, uh, big fight week with Alec Perez coming up. Uh, you know, a couple weeks later than you'd hoped. Uh, you were supposed to face Ray Borg a couple weeks ago. How did everything go down there, uh, you know, in Denver?
2: Um, It was crazy. In all my years, I had still haven't, I haven't experienced a fight pulling out the week of the fight, a fighter pulling out the week of the fight. You know, I know Borg has had some weight issues and has a lot going on in his personal life, so... Figured maybe he'd miss weight, you know, and get some extra money. We'd fight. But um, I think on Wednesday, he found out he hadn't checked in on Tuesday when he was supposed to be driving over. And then, as far as I know, he had actually checked into the hospital with some, you know, medical slash, you know, weight-cutting kidney stuff on, on a Monday. So, didn't make it to the state of Denver for the fight and had to pull out. Of that, so yeah, it was on Monday when uh I guess he had something, but you know we didn't really find out till Wednesday or maybe it was Tuesday night, so yeah, it was a bummer, you know, tried to you know stayed light, and didn't know really what i what I had to do on my part, but you know u f c um let me know right away, hey, don't worry about making weight, you're gonna make weight in three weeks, we got an opponent, and everything, so yeah, it was good, you know, it wasn't like too long of a time where I was just, like, in limbo, like, do I make weight or not? Literally by Wednesday night, they told me, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to take care of you, and we got another fight. So, here we are now at the Palms, tough finale now against Alex Perez.
1: So, what weight are you supposed to be at on Monday? Like, if, if your kidneys are shutting down on a Monday, could he have been less than, like, 135 pounds on that day?
2: Um, No, I believe, from what I heard, he was weighing, like, 140
1: so, I mean, that's a pretty unhealthy situation if your kidneys are shutting I down mean, that early in.
2: Yes, exactly. Like, you know, usually if you see that happen, I mean, it's, it's the day before weigh-ins or maybe the day of. So, it happened Monday. I mean, we've known about the fight for three months. So, that's pretty crazy. And um, and just, like, once again, this is just what I've heard. So, I'm telling you, is they said it was, like, 140 when he, like, checked in there, too. So, to have that that far out... Um, it's pretty crazy
1: it makes me wonder if maybe stress was an issue for him he's going through a lot in his personal life and sometimes your body will go into fight-or-flight mode
2: yeah exactly and I know stress like I mean your body will hold on to everything um, you know when they're stressing. and I know like I said he has a ton going on in his personal life so that could definitely be a factor but you know the way I looked at it is that was something he could control and you know I know everything else is going on and you know I have a ton of sympathy for him there but I feel like the weight and stuff is something you can't control outside of that. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I don't know the full story. That's all hearsay from what I was getting from coaches, UFC people and everything. So uh, yeah, man, I mean, you know, hopefully he's back and healthy if the situation um, was physically harming and obviously, you know, just as a human and another fighter, I mean, obviously um, wish him the best um, with him and his family, what they're dealing with too. So it was just unfortunate.
1: Did you at least get to visit some friends in Denver? You used to live there and and whatnot.
2: Yeah, I hung out, and uh, I have family there, so it was cool. It was really nice. Um, I got two cousins there; they're like sisters, and Denver's like a great town. So, you know, once I found out three weeks, I was like, I got to kind of pump the brakes. I can't keep, you know, this like peak going. So, she just like went out to eat. You know, like hit up a few restaurants that I wanted to get there. Um, Hung out with my cousins, and you know, my wife and. and, um, and uh, was was down there, so yeah, I just tried to enjoy it um, the best I could, and pump the brakes. But uh, and then like take a week off, and then basically come back for the last two pretty hard. At least it wasn't so, in, like it was... Sioux
1: Falls or something like that. You know that, that you know can always be worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. It could could have been worse. Denver has great so And Megan's there most of the time anyways.
1: You know, Megan's usually going from cart to cart, so you've always got her there with you as well. So, uh, you know, again, it could always be worse. Uh, Alex Perez, a young up-and-comer, had a a great fight uh, back in L.A. I think it was UFC 227. Um, he's actually a favorite on this card, uh, against you, which kinda of blows my mind given the the discrepancy in the level of competition between uh that each of you has, has faced. Um, do you think he's gonna be in a little bit over his head on this one? I mean people say there's levels to this game. Do you think that's the case here?
2: Um, maybe not in over his head, but I mean, I definitely think, you know, um rank where I am have done what I have, um, for a reason. You know, I mean it's proven it's right there. So you no, know, I wouldn't say he's over his head. I mean everyone I mean, he's tough. He got into the top fifteen very recently. He has had some really good performances in the organization already. Um, but if we're just looking, yeah, at like skill in general and stuff, I wouldn't say yeah, he's over his head. But I mean, I think I'm definitely the better fighter, and uh, just got to go out there and prove it.
1: The flyweight division has some uncertainty right now. Uh, seems like the division's completely up in the air. Guys are getting released. Um, are you coming to terms with a potential future at bantamweight?
2: Um, no, not at all. I'm not, I was, for me, it's business as usual, honestly. I mean, look in front of me, I have a flyweight fight. Um, look on the horizon, there's a flyweight title fight, which I want to fight the winner of. And it makes sense for me to fight the winner of, um, having a win over Cejudo and being, you know, ex teammates with with TJ and everything. So that's kind of what I look at is like, there's still fights, there's still life, you know, nothing certain. And, um, you know, but First of all, I mean, I have a flyweight fight that I have to win. Um, So that's scheduled, and there's another title fight on the horizon. There's other um, flyweight fights going on. There's another guy, Pantoja, called me out. So kind of crazy they're talking about it. Just the fact that how new, the division's brand new. You know, we're on our second champion. We haven't even had a chance to really make a history, like a timeline. You know, Um, and then i look at it, and I'm just like, even if there was a time, I think it would have been in the, like, we're actually, it's actually more exciting than ever with what's going on now. Um, you know, with the title fight coming down, we basically have a super fight at our weight. Um, a lot of new life and matchup that's that aren't stuck because they already had fought the champion in DJ. So it's kind of crazy. Like I said, like, the division's brand new, and we're talking about cutting it. We've had one champion now on our second. So, you know, to me, it's more exciting than ever. So, like I said, it's just business as usual. I've got a flyweight fight. There's flyweight title fights, and that's always the goal until um, I'm presented with other options.
1: I tend to agree with you on this one. I mean, with Demetrius winning over and over again, people could say the division was stuck in the mud. But Now that he's lost, it opens up a whole new you know, new realm of possibilities. I mean, you've beaten Henry Cejudo. So, I mean, for you to think that there's a chance this division goes away must be heartbreaking given that, again, you have that win over Cejudo, and you're probably, you know, right there in the, in the mix.
2: Oh, yeah, that many enough. I mean, think about, I mean, in the entirety of the division, I was there to start it, you know, first title fight, um, second fight to ever take place in it. I've been here since the beginning, and there hasn't been a time in the whole history of the division where I say, hey, I have a win over the champion, you know, and now that we do, they're like, oh, well, now we're going to get rid of it. That I have, like, a win over the champion and a, and a match makes sense? Well, I've been around, you know, at the top since the division started, first title fight, and haven't left <laughs> Haven't left that contention there. So, um, you know, with the, with Demetrius at at the at the rain, it was so hard for me. I mean, I could have won eight in a row, and who knows if I would have had a fight um, with him. But now, with the history of me and Cejudo, him being the champion is really what matters. Um, you know, he's going to want to avenge a loss, I'm sure, to be um, considered the real champion. And then even after that, there's a ton of fights if you just look at the top between like me, Borg, Faria, Pettis. You know who is at Bantamweight, but I'm sure, you know, with the right options, um, would also want to go down to flyweight. So, like I said, it makes it that much more exciting than, you know, then you throw TJ in there, which I don't know how committed he is to the actual, you know, weight class. But, yeah, man, it, I think it's more exciting than ever. I mean, I, I look at it a lot like the middleweight, you know, like at the very end of Anderson's reign, you were kind of seeing some unfavorable matchups that were just like, what's going on? Like, But he kind of had to fight those guys because he had it. And then once he lost, though, I mean, it opened up this whole freaking window of competition and talent coming in. And now the middleweight is one of the most exciting ones where you can literally look at the top five people and be like, all those guys could be champions on any given day. And that's kind of how I look at the division. You know, you have one, you know, guy considered the greatest lose and the division open up. And then I think the same thing could happen for the flyweight division. So hopefully we're looking at a long history still.
1: I'm going to make a statement. I want to know if you agree with it. If the flyweight division is, in fact, being dissolved, Hudo defending the belt against Dillashaw in January is a pointless endeavor.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean if it is, but, I mean, I think everything's on the, on the, um, like, everything's just, like, I think there's a possibility. But I don't think they go into this fight knowing um, anything is certain. You know, like... They're not cutting the division. They're still making fights. They're still signing people to fight at flyweight and stuff. So um if they know it's being dissolved, it's it's I think it's totally pointless, of course, because you know, what's the point of having, you know, a championship fight when you know you're the division's gonna be right after. So that question is for sure true, but um I think that could also open up a lot of doors. Like I said, I mean, um I think I make sense against both opponents, you know, um, especially Sahuda having to win. TJ coming down, you know, he says he'll have maybe two belts to defend. But, I mean, me and him are ex-teammates. we trained for eight years, and I'd love that fight as well.
1: Do you know something we don't know? I mean, you're saying that some flyweights are being offered fights. Things are still going on. Have you heard of any flyweight fights beyond that title shot?
2: Um, I mean, I think so. I mean, people are still fighting. I mean, I mean, at the division, I don't know, I guess, past that date, you know, if people are being offered, but I know, like, flyweights fell out. They get some other guys coming in, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact dates of of a fight past the Cejudo TJ one. I definitely don't. um, I'm not good with dates anyway, but I'm just looking at right now, like I mentioned earlier, like, it's business as usual. Like, there's guys calling me out. That was a fight. You know, I'm fighting, and there's a title fight on the horizon. So, you know, hopefully that's not the last of it. You lost to Sergio...
1: Think, uh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no. I was just saying, um, I don't even remember. I lost. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> you lost to Sergio Pettis, yeah, earlier this year. But you only lost to anyone not named Demetrius Johnson at Flyweight or Dominic yeah. Cruz at Bantamweight, two legends. Can
2: you believe that? Yeah, yeah I, I mean,
1: a lot of people thought you won it. <laughs> um, but how do you view your performance I I looking back? I mean, do, do you do you consider that, uh, I guess, a dark part of your career, given that uh, his name isn't really on par with those other guys? Oh,
2: man, you know what? Like, it's it's like, it's not like dark, it's not light, it's just like a confusing kind of part for me, honestly. Like, I remember even walking out of the cage, and it was just like, I was like confused and kind of just like, what? Like, I, there's no way I lost to Sergio Perez. Like, that wasn't an option. And you know, I look at the fight in general, and, like, I actually look at it, like, I fought really good. And, like, I think people forget, too, like, I was coming off an 18-month layoff from the ACL, went out there, and I outstruck, was the first person to outstrike Sergio Pettis in UFC. UFC. Um, and I did that by good numbers, you know, so went out there, outstruck him, um, did the only kind of wrestling or cage control in the whole fight and outstruck him so i just kind of left and i was like well, i don't see where i lost and you know i look back at the fight and i kind of look at some some um some you know exchanges and stuff in that fight and i'm like wow like that's the best the fastest like the most crisp i've ever looked against a really good up fighter but then i lose and you know this is the way I look at it is you know one person basically made a decision to change the whole narrative of, of what's going on in my career, in my fight and, and um, in in the weight class, right? Like one person basically decided I didn't win the third round, which I thought was the most clear round by far, you know, because I kept getting better. I think the third round was the most clear. One person actually had me losing that fight, therefore I lost that round, therefore I lost the fight on a split decision. And it's like, oh my God, I had six in a row, and now I lost the split decision that I could have won. Like, that's the narrative. It could have easily been, because no one thought I'd look bad. So the narrative could have easily been that judge does the right thing and a different thing, or it's another judge. And the narrative's, wow, he came and outstruck Sergio after 18 months off and looked amazing. And that's seven wins in a row, and he has a win over the champion. And for all I know, in another world, like the TJ Cejudo is not even happening, because Obviously, Cejudo hadn't won yet, but Cejudo wins that fight. He calls out for me because I have seven wins in a row with a win being over him. So it's kind of crazy how, like, one person can make that decision when, like, I did everything I could to go out there. And, like, I don't think any would have argued if I won. And, like I said, the whole narrative and story, like, in an alternate universe, is just I have seven wins in a row and I'm fighting Cejudo. So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at the fight. So it's kind of a confusing, like... Like freaking upside down world where like why did that happen?
1: <laughs> it is confusing i mean the thought, the thing that was idiotic to me is, as you mentioned, the judge gave uh, him the third round, which I thought, like you said was a a pretty uh decided round for you. I had a two to one for you. I thought that uh that like you mentioned, the first two rounds, I think could have gone either way. I thought that if you did lose, it was yeah. because the judges would have given him the first two rounds, but with one of the judges giving him the third round, that didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, you've been doing something That's called death. yeah it's weird it's it's these judges yeah. sometimes you just you can't. Yeah. Make, yeah, you know
2: when one of the one of the judges gave me the first round. Yeah, you know? yeah so I remember that like, too. And like even that one, I'm like, that's not unjustified because like, I mean, I hit a knee and then I thirty seconds in and then won the rest of the round. So, you know. But anyway,
1: yeah, and I guess we got to put that on. I could go on, could go on forever, <laughs> like I said. As <laughs> uh, you've done something called Dapper Scrappers. Uh, you're at the UFC events. Yeah. You, you take pictures of a lot of the fighters and their style. You're, you're big on style and yeah. fashion, um, but. If you to, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is the best dressed okay. UFC fighter? Uh, outside of yourself, of course. And who is the most creatively dressed UFC out- fighter again, outside of yourself?
2: Man, that's a good question and like it's kind of a question that like I don't really answer by Dapper Scrappers cuz the way I look at style in general is everyone is such an individual and that's why I started Dapper Scrappers is to like really express people's individuality. That's what I think style is you know, dressing, everything, especially for a fighter who's going to a fight. They're only seen in their fight kit or an interview or a countdown show, which is great and human and everything, but like you're still fighting and you're still in the gym. So that's why I really started it is to show their individuality. So by me answering that, you know, it's kind of like I look at everyone as an individual. Like if you look at the post, like a lot of people say, this guy's the best, this guy's the best, but every single person is kind of dressed their best because that's their style and that's all that really matters. Like, it's a self-expression. And, like, if you don't... I, I have, like, the theory of, like, if you don't like the way someone's dressed, it's just, like, you don't like the way they're dressed. Like, somebody else is going to look at them and be like, I would wear that. That's sweet. That's cool. And obviously, the person wearing it is wearing it. So it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So I never ask on Dapper Scrappers, who's the best, who's this, who's that? Because, like I said, style is individual, but... Um, if you're just asking me in general, there is, like I said, everyone just does really good. Like, I think one of the questions was like, who's the most like experimental and stuff, right? Yeah. Most creative. Yeah. You know who actually does how I love in that, in that regard? Cause he actually like takes it to that experimental phase is Kevin Lee. Like he does stuff like, like almost like, like performance art, almost like, I mean, he's like the Motown phenom, but like, for example, something I love that he did is when he went and fought in OKC, he replicated an outfit that Russell Westbrook was wearing. Um, That's pretty cool. And Russell Westbrook is a style star, and so he went to the OKC Thunder, um, you know, arena where they play, and he replicated the Russell Westbrook outfit. And like that was just kind of next level. So as far as that goes, and I don't know if this was on purpose and it sounds really bad, but Valentina was fighting Nico, who is a Native American, and she dressed like a cowboy. Yeah, I, I remember like, that. That's sad. And I was like, and I, at first I was just like, oh, she's into like the Western wear lip. Like that's in. Like that's cool. But then I kind of thought it on the deeper level. And I was like, once again, it's like more performance, like they're dressing. You know, for like an actual other expression than just themselves. So like that was crazy, as well. But like, like I love stuff like that. You know, like, um, so as far as experimental, but like, um, and then speaking to the girls too, like I think Yoanna has amazing style. Um, and she actually just got like a gig with some Disney and another like style brand, rightfully so. Like I think she actually knows her style and fashion is always her looks are always like super well put together. And she doesn't play it up either. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, she doesn't play it up. It's, like, subtle, and it's just, like, well put together. You know, she's never trying too hard, but she always looks so well put together um, no matter what she's doing. Um, So I really am, like, a fan of her style. But, like, all the girls, like, have started to bring it, you know. And I think everybody in general, like, you know, um, a lot of people tell me, and I don't really look at it like that, but they're, like, fighters are starting to step it up. And I realize they're kind of asking – like if I'm there or like when I do see them they're like, dude, I bought this outfit. What do you like for Dapper Scrappers? And I'm like, this is incredible. So it's really cool. So going back to my first like theory of the whole thing is like that's all it that's all it's for is like everybody. Like somebody else is gonna think these people are the best dress. Someone else is gonna like this person's style. But everyone's gonna like someone's style and everyone is getting to express themselves and show through Dapper Scrappers show the fans like them outside of the cage, outside of somewhere. So some fans can you know, look at that and be like, oh my God, I didn't know, you know, he dressed like that. That's something I would wear. And like, you can just, it builds another layer to them. And like, that's kind of what it's all about.
1: And finally, if I see you backstage at UFC 231 or see Megan and I bring a pair of uh, white shoes, you can customize them for me?
2: <laughs> I think so.
1: All right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I've done yeah. it before. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to hold you to that. Awesome. I can I can get my, my eight year old to customize shoes for you too with like you know markers and stuff. It'll be very avant garde. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, it'll be perfect. We'll have, <laughs> we we'll one of each.
1: All right, Joe. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, I do see you in Toronto. Are you coming down?
2: You know what? I'm actually thinking about it. Yeah, you should like I'm a pack a
1: jacket. But you know, it, it'll be fun.
2: Yeah, I'm actually thinking about it. Like the fights, um, like the area. Um, I know Toronto is a huge food city, so um, it'll be after my fight. don't can go explore. And um, and tear it up. Absolutely. Nice. If you need
1: recommendations, just uh, just reach out to me. I appreciate uh I appreciate you joining me, and uh, and hopefully I'll see you soon.
2: It was awesome, man. Thanks again. Always a pleasure.
1: That was Joseph Benavides. Man, that guy's a real thinker. You talk, he, you hear him talk about fashion. He, it's almost like saying, what do you think is a better work of art, Michelangelo's David or the Mona Lisa? He's, you know, it's it's an individual preference, and he's right. I mean, I still would have liked to know who he thinks is the best dressed in the UFC. Gave me a couple names. But that Dapper Scrappers is a cool idea. If you haven't checked that out, it's on Instagram. Look up Dapper Scrappers. Chris Millington, very good photographer, works with them, And uh, they take a lot of cool pictures. And There are a lot of people, a lot of fighters, if you think of the, the fashion in MMA and where it's come in the last 10 or so years, I mean, all these fighters are wearing uh, Ed Hardy and Affliction shirts and uh, tap-out shirts. Now these guys are dressing, you know, a lot of these fighters are dressed really nicely. You really rise to the occasion fashion-wise. If there's one thing that's really turned the corner from where it was, it's almost like the whole evolution of the sport. If you look at how fighting's evolved over the last 10 years, the fashion in fighting's evolved even more. These guys are dressed up nicely now. They're not messing around. The ladies, too. He mentioned Valentina. One thing that he didn't mention was that she carries like a knife with her on her belt. It's like a knife holder. That's an interesting fashion trend. Don't know if I can get away with carrying like a knife around with me, but you know, Valentina Shevchenko, nobody's going to give her a hard time because A, she's great at mixed martial arts, and B, she has a knife. Don't want to mess around with Valentina Shevchenko. I can think of a lot of uh, other people I'd, I'd sooner mess around with. In fact, that's probably about 99.999% of the population. She's fighting in Toronto, UFC 231. And that's next week. Gonna have a lot of exciting stuff next week. TSN's gonna be all over it. Going to have Joanna Yonjica coming to TSN. Dana White's going to pop by. It's going to be a good week. We're looking forward to that. Always love it when the the UFC comes to this great city of Toronto. But we'll go from one flyweight to another. The following night, after Joe Benavidez fights, another flyweight fights, and that's uh, Ben Wynn. Ben Ten Wynn. He fights uh, at UFC Adelaide against uh, Wilson Heiss. Hace, Wilson Hayes. I remember when I interviewed Wilson Hays, I sat backstage saying Hace, Hayes, Hace over and over again. So I didn't get that wrong. And there, there I go. I got it wrong. Wilson Hayes. He'll be taking on uh, Ben Wynn, who joins us now on the TSN MMA show. The UFC heads down under to Adelaide, Australia this Saturday night. It's going to be Sunday, I guess, there. Uh, ben Ten Tenwin will be on the card in one of the last flyweight uh, fights scheduled in the UFC, uh, as the division seems to be a little bit up in the <laughs> air. Uh, so, Ben, it's an exciting time for uh, for flyweights, as I mentioned. So, uh, there's rumors that the, the division may be shut down early next year. Most of your fights have taken mm-hmm. place at bantamweight. Are you open to the possibility of fighting there if the division doesn't indeed shut down?
3: Heck yeah, man. I feel like, yeah, I've fought bantamweight uh, uh, pretty much my... career except for the UFC so um you know moving back into the bantamweight space wouldn't be an issue at all
1: would it allow you to walk around a little bit heavier
3: yeah it would would allow me to eat eat more um burger king and mcdonald's (laughs) that's for sure i don't eat that stuff anyways but (laughs) um yeah it definitely allowed me to eat more and enjoy life a little bit better
1: do you think you'll be as competitive there
3: I think so. I think when I when I fought at bantamweight, I felt strong. I felt fast. Uh, I felt like you know well fed. So I I feel like I, I'd be very competitive in, in the bantamweight. And you see like some some of the flyweights that made the transition already. You know, John Dodson um, was, um John Lineker. Um, you know, they're all do, they're they're doing they're doing awesome, man. So um, I do fucking awesome as well.
1: I asked uh, your flyweight colleague Joe Benavidez, this uh, earlier in the show. So I'm uh, going to make a yeah. statement. I want you. To, I want to know if you agree with it. If the flyweight division is being dissolved, Cejudo defending the belt yep. against Dillashaw in January is a pointless endeavor.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I. Well, if it's going to be dissolved, yeah. I mean, I don't know why that fight's happening, but you know, at this point, we don't know for sure we don't we haven't heard anything from the u f c saying they're going to dissolve the division, and you know the when that whole week of the news happened with the flyaways you know they it was like it was clearly up and down you know they they not they, it was rumored to to dissolve the the flyweight division was to to dissolve, but then they announced or not announced but um it was rumored that Suju was going to fight d j and then you know we don't I don't. We don't know what's gonna happen. It's been a roller coaster, so I don't know. You know as much. You know as much as I do.
1: Well, what I do know is that every flyweight that's coming off of a loss seems to be getting released, and that's not a good yeah. sign.
3: No, it's not. But uh, I don't know. Like we don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. Do you, does that the, put a little bit of ex-
1: does that put a little bit of extra pressure on you though when you fight Wilson Hayes in uh, in Australia Saturday uh, or I guess like I said Sunday in Australia? Uh, do you feel like this is a situation where the winner keeps their job?
3: Um. Yeah, I, I think you know that that might be the case, but I you know I don't well I don't know like and um, the pressure like for me it's not it's not that much of a big deal like I've got you know other opportunities elsewhere if. Things don't work out, but, you know, we just have to find out and see.
1: Now, people are saying the flyweight division didn't succeed because there are so few finishes, but I look at all of your fights and they've all but one yeah, in ended man. inside the distance. So is that an unfair exactly.
3: reputation? 100%. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, you know, out of my four wins in the ESC, three of them have been finishes in the first round. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know why people are, you know, turning off the flyweight division. Like, it's, like, it's like nothing. It's it's not like it's, it's my fights are entertaining.
1: I, I mean, you yeah. can say that again. Twenty five fights, only two went to have got the decision. I mean, that's very rare for somebody in in both the flyweight and bantamweight weight class. Yeah,
3: man. man. Yeah, exactly. I'm a finisher. Um, uh, I'm an entertaining fighter. I feel like my fighting style is 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 is, is awesome. And um, you guys are gonna be in for a show on um, December. Second or yeah, second over there, third over
1: here. You beat someone in the. Uh, you beat someone named Shavel at Sitjodong. Is is he related to you Does that hurt your chances? Uh, oh, actually, sorry, you lost him. Does that hurt your chances of fighting in one? Is this guy related uh, to chatri I, I
3: think I I think he is. Yeah, I think he is. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. You know what what direction I'm going to take. Um, you know, after this fight, you know, we I like I really don't know what's going to happen with. The whole division and stuff, and um, yeah, man, we're just gonna have to see what happens. Like, I'm, I'm right now. I'm just laser focused on this this fight in front of me.
1: With Wilson, he's lost three in a row, but he's lost to Cejudo, <laughs> Demetrius Johnson, and John Moraga. Those are three very tough opponents. Um, but do you feel like you're getting uh, Wilson Hayes on the downside of his career?
3: Um, I mean, he's, he's yeah, he's coming off a few losses, um, but he's coming off like losses. To like the, you know Demetrius Johnson previous champion profound profound best fighter in the world um and then and then the next champion the Hudo and then he lost to um John Moraga and and um you know it was it was a was a hard loss for him but you know I, I don't I don't feel like he's no slouch like he's not coming off his his um career but like I feel like there's going to be some added pressure for him, especially, because, like, you know, he's, he's, he wants he's going to be chasing the win. And um and chasing the win, you know, bad things happen, when you get that added pressure, it sucks.
1: Uh, given your frenetic style and uh, your ability to finish fights, do you wish that you had gotten a crack at Demetrius while he was still in the UFC? I mean, looking at, at your resume, had you gotten that win over, you know, Louis Smoke, uh, you might have been right in the mix.
3: Yeah, man. Like I, I think that was the, uh, that was the dream. That was the the goal, getting into the UFC and then fighting the, the best fighter in the world. So yeah, it was just it, it sucked. It didn't work out that way, but who you knows? We, we might meet down in in the in the future.
1: Uh, Where did the nickname Ten come from? Is it just Ten out of Ten or?
3: Ten out of ten, yeah.
1: All right. Well, that's simple. This that's face, simple.
3: The face isn't isn't just for look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've heard rumors that you're moving up a few weight classes uh, to face off against Mark Hunt at the end of the year. Is that true or false?
3: That's true. hundred percent. I'm going to beat his
1: ass digitally. Street fighter. <laughs> Super Smash Brothers. And so, Counter-Strike. Have you tried this new Super Smash Brothers game for the Switch?
3: I haven't. No, it's not out yet.
1: I got a sneak preview. Did you? I did. I played yeah. with my, I went with to a Nintendo party with my son a couple weeks ago. He's eight oh, years God. old and this game, I'm telling you, is unbelievable. Is it good? It's oh, it's man. unreal. You can oh, choose man. from like sixty five playable characters. You can use Ryu, your inspiration, and Ken in this game. It is uh yes. it is an awesome, awesome game. I'm telling you, you're gonna love this thing when you get the chance to, to get your hands on it.
3: Yeah, well I'm gonna love it even more when I'm beating Mark Hunt's ass and hand it to him. In
1: <laughs> they wouldn't allow us to take a picture of the character selection screen, so I can't. I can't gift it to you.
3: Okay, that sucks. All right, All right. <laughs> I'll. I'll get to
1: it. I heard. I read that Ryu uh, is one of the inspirations for you getting into the sport.
3: He is, man. Like you know, back in the back in the day, you know, playing Street Fighter Two on Super Nintendo. You know, the, he was like, he was who I wanted to be, like that. Guy that just put his nose down, trained really hard, and became like that true martial artist.
1: Is that still your guy when you play?
3: Heck yeah! Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. Sure, you can all the way.
1: And who? Are you, what are your top three games, like of all time?
3: Uh right. Oh, of all time. Dang, it's hard.
1: Yeah, like you're going to an island, and you're allowed to bring three games with you and their respective consoles. Can we play online? No, oh, come on, you're on an island.
3: Oh, man. I'll um, probably be like Zelda or something. The, okay. The last Zelda on Switch.
1: Okay. I'm That's still playing
3: game. it, man. It's still long. What um, other game? I don't know. There's too many games to choose from. Uh, and, yeah, I think Zelda would be my top pick, though, because it's free roaming and there's so much to do in that game. I feel like trying to beat everything would be take me a lifetime.
1: So how did this thing come together with Mark? Because it's not happening in Australia; it's happening in like London, England. In London,
3: yeah. I uh, get, get connected through uh, a friend um, who knew uh, that, who knew me, both me and Mark, and um, connected. She connected me to, up to Mark, and Mark was like, "Yeah, well, I forgot that you played video games. Get out and jump on board." And um, that's that's pretty much how it happened. Just through. Mutual friends, pretty
1: cool. And Mark's quite an older guy. He was around when like Commodore sixty four was out.
3: Yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you yeah, luck. I, mean, I know Mark's on good. this. I know Mark's on this card with you in Australia. There's a lot of uh, Australians on this card. Yeah,
3: we'll catch up. We'll catch up there, and um, I'll, I'll um, say hello to Mark. Oh yeah, the, Australia,
1: well. the Australian market is uh, really coming around. I mean, it looks like there are tons of fighters from the region that are really starting to make a big splash.
3: Yeah man, 100 understand. Like we got we got the champion Robert Whittaker. He's awesome. He trains solely out of Sydney, which is really cool. Um, I'm training out of Brisbane, and um, yeah, there's a few guys from Melbourne and stuff. So yeah, some good talent coming out for sure.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, you, tough. you can see a lot just of it.
3: I mean, we I mean we we get we live in Australia, so and. Anything can kill us at any moment, so we're ready for anything.
1: Really, it's so it's sure. like that in Australia.
3: Yeah, man, hundred percent. Like walk out your door, there's spiders and snakes trying to kill you. Every time I put on my shoe, I gotta tap it out just in case there's like a spider in there waiting to bite me. So I, yeah, we're ready for anything. We're tough. We're tough as nails.
1: Well, I mean, the, one of the greatest moments in UFC history happened in uh, in Australia. Do you know what? Do you know what I'm talking about?
3: Great. Uh, when um, Verdun threw that boomerang at um,
1: old mate. You see, I was I was hoping you were going to say Rhonda versus Holly Holm, but yes, when when Verdun threw a boomerang <laughs> at Colby Covington, it's one of the greatest. Colby like he's in Australia, he gets a boomerang gift from somebody. I mean, you're American, so this kind of thing is probably like yeah. hilarious to you too. Um, it was. It was. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. He threw a boomerang, and then Colby called the cops on him. It's one of, like, <laughs> the, like there's so many layers to the story that make it, fen- like, it's phenomenal.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
1: I know, right? Like, you're in Australia. How often do you actually see boomerangs in Australia? I mean, not often. Not, uh, yeah, it's like a stereotype. It's like you don't you don't see it people is. throwing boomerangs in the park like it's no. just as one of these things that you see in cartoons. So with Verdum no. going over there from you know I mean I guess he's uh, stateside, but a Brazilian guy goes over to Australia, gets a gift of a boomerang, and <laughs> throws it at somebody. It's uh, I don't know. I thought that was one of the funniest things that has ever happened in the sport. And there are, there are a lot of funny things that have happened in the sport.
3: There are there are and that that's that's at the top. for
1: sure. <laughs> All right, Ben. Nice catching up with you. Uh, look forward to seeing this fight. It's in Adelaide. It's uh, It airs on TSN here in Canada, and uh, we appreciate your time.
3: All right, cool. Um, yeah, just looking forward to the fighting and uh, putting on a great, great show, and, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for having me on.
1: That was Ben Wynn, and uh, he's got a big fight coming up against Wilson Hayes at UFC in Adelaide. Fabricio Overdoom throwing a boomerang at Colby Covington. That will forever be one of the funniest moments in UFC history. Threw a boomerang at him in Australia. It's Crazy. It's tough to top. Dana White on the UFC Unfiltered podcast says that they're going to let Sage Northcutt go. So Sage Northcutt, a free agent right now, his contract has expired with the UFC, and it looks like they want him to uh, go elsewhere. Now, of course, Dana White has done this in the past when they're negotiating with a a fighter. They did it with Misha Serkinov. They say that we want them to go somewhere else. That you know, we're going to let them walk. Now, Sage Northcutt makes around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a fight if he wins. I think it's something like makes around eighty and eighty, along those lines, seventy-five and seventy-five. So, if he's going elsewhere. He's got to have a very good offer on the table. Probably around 250 a fight, 300 a fight. And I guess the UFC is looking at it and saying, this guy, the, you know, for this guy, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. If you look at Sage's career, he's looked really good at uh, lightweight. But when he was fighting at welterweight, he, uh, he was, had a lot of difficulty. The problem is he has a lot of trouble making 155 Making 170 is easy for him, but he's got a size deficit. He's the type of guy that would really benefit from, uh, from a 165-pound division. But looking at his history in the UFC, he is 6-2. and two. Those two losses came at welterweight. Only one of the wins is at welterweight against Zach Otto, his most recent win. But most of his success comes at lightweight. And the other issue is that in terms of the guys he's fought, the biggest names are Brian Barbarina and Mickey Gall, and he lost to both of those guys. His best win is probably against like Enrique Marine. I'm not even sure if, if Marine is still with the uh, UFC. He's not. He's just fought a, He's fought four times since, uh, since the last fighting in the UFC against Sage. Maybe Zach Otto's his best win. I don't know. I mean these, he's fought everybody that he's fought, aside from Otto, who's, who's three and three I mean he was three and two at the time, had a losing record. At least everybody that he beat. So what has Sage Northcutt really done to justify that kind of money? Now, I mean, people talk about him being you know, marketable and whatnot, but I don't know. Have, have you ever spoken to somebody that says, I have to tune in and watch Sage Northcutt? He's an exciting fighter to watch, don't get me wrong. Very, very young, 22 years of age. Has a, a bright future ahead of him. I'm not trying to discount him as a fighter. He's been fighting. He's been uh, doing karate and, and other combat sports for his whole life. But... If you look at the body of work, again, you have to decide whether the juice is worth the squeeze. And for Sage Northcott, I'm not sure it is. If he's going to get 250 or 300 elsewhere, win bonus or otherwise, you know, if it's just 300, 300 flat, 250 flat, I think the UFC's wise to let him walk. Now, if it's a negotiation and it's a negotiating ploy, and he doesn't have that kind of money, you know, being offered to him, and they can get him for a hundred and a hundred, maybe you sign him. Maybe he's worth a hundred and a hundred. I don't know. I don't want to take money out of these guys pockets. But uh Sage seems to be a a you know in the eyes of people a marketable character. I don't know if that can be proven or not. I'm sure they have metrics to decide just how marketable he is and what his future could be like. But if you look at where he's co- how far he's come from his UFC debut October the 3rd, 2015 to where he is now 3 years later, he hasn't he hasn't grown that much as a fighter. He hasn't become a contender. He hasn't become a ranked fighter. So maybe they're smart to let him go. Now, if he does go to one championship, there's no guarantee that he's going to come back to the UFC at any point in time. But that being said, you've got a lot of time to figure that out and see what this guy can do. So uh, if he is able to go to one championship and make a good amount of money, good on him. I, I just don't know if he's worth it. I don't know if it's worth paying the guy. Some other notes from that interview on Unfiltered. The uh, looks like Adesanya and uh, Silva, which we mentioned earlier in the show, is going to be the co-main of UFC 234. So that's that's an interesting note. He said he didn't watch Tito and Chuck live. He saw highlights the next day and just tore a strip off of Oscar De La Hoya. I I mean, this was a, as nasty as Dana White gets, and Dana White has been nasty in the past, in terms of uh, in terms of ripping people and making personal attacks. But who he went after Oscar. He also says the California State Athletic Commission should have never sanctioned it. He hopes to speak with Chuck Liddell soon, and he says the thing that Oscar doesn't understand is the reason why he stopped Chuck from fighting is because he's his friend. He knew that Chuck wanted to keep fighting, but he, you know, just out of friendship and looking out for his best interests in terms of health, that's why he stopped Chuck from fighting. Now, does he do that with every fighter? Definitely not. But he's always been quick to say, if anybody's considering retirement, you shouldn't be fighting. You should, you, need, you need to have your head completely in the game. I mean, he keeps bringing BJ Penn back. Now, BJ Penn's not the type of guy that's been stopped in the manner that Chuck Liddell's been stopped. Chuck Liddell got flatlined in his last three fights. Got knocked out. At least with BJ losing, he's not losing in, in that kind of devastating fashion for the most part. Now, that's it. When was last time BJ Penn won a fight. It was against, I think it was against, it was against Nick Diaz. It was against Nick Diaz. Or, or was that, that, that might have been Diaz's last win. I think Diaz's last win was against BJ Penn. The last time BJ Penn won was against Matt Hughes. November 20th, 2010. Eight years ago. Wow. And they keep bringing him back. Now He got, he got finished by Edgar and then Yair Rodriguez, but it wasn't again the same kind of Devastating finishes that we saw. Uh, Chuck Liddell face. So that's uh, that pretty much sums up what Dana said. He still wants to make Cormier versus Lesnar happen. Wants to see Woodley versus Colby mentioned. You know, at UFC two thirty three, which all signs are pointing to. Dan Lambert, uh, in an interview with James Lynch, I think it was a week or two ago, said uh, that that's what's being targeted. So not a whole lot of new information. He talked about the flyweight division as well. I should t- I should touch on that because uh, we we have had uh, Ben Wynn and uh, Joseph Benavidez on the show. And he basically w- is alluding to the fact that flyweight is probably gone. He says flyweight never caught on. He tried to keep it alive. And uh, we're going to see what happens in the future. They're still making flyweight fights. But, I mean, I mean, they say they're still making flyweight fights. There has not been a fight in the flyweight division announced beyond UFC 233. So once I see that, then I'll believe that that this division has a future. But until then, it looks like this division is dead in the water. I, I do not see the point of doing this Shah versus Suhudo fight at 125 if, if they're going to wrap up this division. It just does not make a lick of sense to me. And you're just stalling the bantamweight division. Now, Dana's going to be in Toronto next week. I, I will ask him about that I, because I, it just confuses me. It perplexes me what the, what the upside of doing that is. So that, uh, that wraps up what Dana White had to say on, on that particular show. Not a whole lot, a lot of other news uh, coming out in the last little bit. We've still got a lot to look forward to next year in terms of what's going to be happening with uh, with some of the bigger fights. I'm interested to see what happens next with Jacare because Jacare, to me, is certainly should be the number one contender at 234. But the problem with Jacare is he's coming off of uh, recent losses to both the champion Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastel in the next challenger. So it's hard to thrust them into that, into that position to contend for the title. The problem also is that Jacare is getting older. I mean, Jacare is no spring chicken. If you do look up and down the division through middleweight and you try to come up with a good matchup for um, Israel Adesanya to earn a title shot based on who it warrants, I think that Jacare is the obvious answer. But then again, if Jacare beats him, he's got losses to Whitaker and to Gastelum. Yoel Romero would have been a good option. But Yoel Romero has losses uh, to Robert Whitaker, two losses. So if he ends up beating Israel Adesanya, do you give him a third shot at the title? I mean, his last shot at the title, he didn't even make weight. It wasn't even a title shot. Rockwell had lost to Romero. But Rockhold versus Whitaker, or Rockhold versus Gastelum, is very interesting. So if you if you do Rockhold versus Adesanya, that's a fun fight. But putting Adesanya against Anderson Silva to me, I think is a, is just an entertaining fight. I know Rockhold still wants to move up to light heavyweight too. So who knows what his future holds? Especially with Cormier, possibly never fighting at light heavyweight again. Now more than ever, it makes more sense for Rockhold to move to light heavyweight, take on an Anthony Smith, get right into the mix. Because that, I think, makes the most sense for him career-wise. Yoel Romero too. Yoel Romero could move to light heavyweight and be an instant title challenger. He'd be—I mean, I think he'd be the number one contender if you move—if you move him in uh, to face whoever wins between Jones and Gustafson and is the champion. Especially if Cormier is not fighting there again. I mean, who are you putting ahead of Yoel Romero if he moves there? Anthony Smith? I don't think so. As much as Anthony Smith has done this year, I think Romero trumps him. So before we call it a day, let's take a look at uh, the odds for some of these events. I know that uh, usually Joe and I make our picks. Last week, I couldn't have been more wrong about Jessica Aguilar. Yikes. Curtis Bates, too. That's what you call an off night. They've got odds for Justin Frazier and Juan Espino, and Justin Frazier opens as a small favorite. I think I like Espino, actually, in that in that particular fight, just from watching the show. Very weird that that's the finale. I don't know how how good the future of either of those guys is at heavyweight. I think whoever wins that will get some good fights. Heavyweight tends to be an older division, so if Espino wins at age 37, it's not really a huge shocker. But uh, Justin Frazier, he's 28, 29, still kind of young. Guy's a bulldog in the octagon. Runs out of gas, though. So if I had to look, uh, I think Edmund Shabazian against Darren Stewart as an underdog is definitely worth a look. Shabazian just finishes guys in the first round. Not that Darren Stewart doesn't. The dentist uh, can put people away as well. Um, but uh, just looking at the odds, I think uh, there's there's uh, a little bit of value in Brian Caraway against Munoz. The problem is if you try to take down Pedro Munoz, he grabs your neck and he doesn't let go. And if it's on the feet, I think Munoz has a bit of an advantage. So I can see why the uh, the line is that long. I do like Joseph Benavidez a lot against Alex Perez, and I am a big fan of Alex Perez and his fighting style as well. But just seeing Joseph Benavidez as an underdog against somebody on a short notice fight against Alex Perez... I mean, Perez is, is taking it on short notice. Benavides was in camp to fight Ray Borg, as he, he discussed earlier. I think there's good value on him. I think there's good value on Ricky Rainey against Tim Means. Rainey's uh, pretty long and rangy and a, a bigger um, welterweight, whereas Means is a bit of a smaller welterweight, in terms of, at least in terms of build. In terms of height, Means is pretty tall. So uh, those are really the ones that I think have a lot of value. Is uh, Benavidez... I think Espino's got good value, and I think Edmund shabazian has got good uh, good value. And then you go uh, off to Australia. You take a look at those those particular lines. There's not a whole lot that I like on this particular card. In fact, there's nothing I really like. Nothing stands out to me as uh, as being a, a really good number. I do think the Dos Santos at minus one forty five is pretty uh, pretty solid because he can he can take a he can take a hit, but Tui Vasa can put you out pretty quickly. Mark Hunt against Willis. Mark Hunt at minus one hundred five is probably worth a look. Haven't loved what I've seen from Mark Hunt lately, but I think that he's a pretty, uh, he's quite a bit more skilled than Justin Willis. No disrespect to Justin Willis. I think Justin Willis is a very good fighter. Trains at a good camp as well. At AKA, Jake Matthews at minus one forty five is always worth a look. He's a he's a very very talented guy. He looks great in his last fight against Yixing Lang, but uh, two two very entertaining cards. And then you got UFC 231 in Toronto. I can't wait. Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, and Yanjachik versus Valentina Shevchenko, Claudia Gadalia versus Nina Ansaroff, and Jimmy Manoa versus Tiago Santos. That's a that's a solid main card. Then you got a lot of Canadians on that card, too. We'll have a lot of time to talk about that next week. Really looking forward to it. The, the Scotiabank Arena, newly renamed Scotiabank Arena. Another early December card. As Max Holloway always says, we're trying to freeze him out. You got him in Toronto, Detroit, and then Toronto in in uh, December and three years in a row. So we'll uh, we'll touch on that next week. We'll also have you on a NJ Chicken studio. Looking forward to that. But until then, this has been the TSN MMA show, and we'll catch you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit TSN.ca slash UFC.